love it. Well, Orchard Hill, um, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, we're walking into the last year of this campaign we've been doing called Get Her Done. Uh, I don't know if you heard anything about that this morning, but we are, as Pastor Bob and, and Larry the campaign guy reminded us, we're entering into our last year, which is so exciting. And this morning, as we think about Get Her Done, we're going to be looking into scripture and digging into what God's word has to say about his people and giving. So I want to encourage you to open the Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you're using the Bibles in the pews, it's uh, page 1801. We're going to give you some time to actually turn to that because we think it's important to actually be physically opening our Bibles or bringing our phones up and looking at the word on your phone. Um, so as you turn there, I want to give us some context for what we're about to read. This can get a little confusing because we're about to read about three different churches, three different groups of churches. So before we read, the first group of churches you're going to hear about are the Macedonian churches. Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he is writing from Macedonia. That's where he's staying at the time he writes the letter of 2 Corinthians. So the churches in Macedonia he's hanging out with are the Thessalonian churches, the Philippian churches, and the Berean churches. So when you hear Macedonia, here this is where Paul is, and these are the churches he's hanging out with. The second church you're going to hear about, and Jordan, if you don't mind bringing that slide up, that would be great. The second church you're going to hear about is the Corinthian church. Obviously, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians, so guess what? Paul is writing to the Corinthian church from Macedonia. And finally, the church that you're not really going to hear about, but you're going to hear implied in this morning's scripture, is the church and the churches in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in the midst of persecution and famine. And so Paul, this morning that we'll see in the letter he's writing, takes chapters 8 and 9 to ask the Corinthian church, really to encourage them to give to what's happening to the cause of the church in, in Jerusalem that's facing persecution and that's hungry. So recap, Paul is in Macedonia, hanging out with the churches there. He's there writing a letter to the Corinthians and asking, encouraging the Corinthians to give to the hardship that the church in Jerusalem is facing. Got it? Yes, Four of us. Awesome. Okay. Let's go, Orchard Hill. We're going to read now from the book that we love, 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring about to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that, so that you through his poverty 
might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. We get from this context that about a year ago, so or, or last year sometime, he says, so that gives us some perspective, right? We talked about this campaign last year. Last year, the Corinthians had this really good desire to give. They wanted to help the Jerusalem church, and they had started, but something got in their way, and they, they hadn't finished, in maybe the course of a full year, finished the collection yet. What we think, just for some background, um, some false teachers came into town and stirred up a lot of trouble. But since then, that has resolved, and they're kind of back on the wagon now, so Paul is saying, okay, refocus, remember last year, remember to give to your brothers and sisters in need. And as he's encouraging them to do so, he holds up the example of the Macedonian churches. He's sitting there, writing this letter, surrounded by these beloved brothers and sisters, and he says to the church at Corinth, you want to know what giving is like? Look at your brothers and sisters in Macedonia. Look what they have done. Look what God has done in them. For us to really get how remarkable the Macedonian church is and the generosity that welled up within them, I think we need to understand the kind of poverty that they are facing. In verse 2, Paul says two things about the Macedonian church. He says, first, that they are facing extreme poverty. Now, this isn't the kind of poverty that says, man, money's a little tight right now. I better cut back on the Starbucks trips and those nights to Applebee's. And it's not the kind of poverty that we in America go, oh, man, I am so broke right now. But yeah, let's go get a drink tonight. It'll be fun. This is the kind of poverty that you don't know where your next meal is coming from sometimes. Dirt poor, working day in, day out, hard labor just to make ends meet, barely scrape by, and sometimes not even making ends meet. And it's the kind of poverty that 75% of the ancient world lived in. There was no middle class in the ancient world. There were extremes. And the churches that we're looking at today, the churches in Macedonia, the Thessalonican church, the Berean church, the Philippian church, these churches are living in that kind of poverty. When Rome came in and conquered Macedonia, they took everything from the people and left them destitute. So we know, one, that the Macedonian churches are some of the poorest of the poor. That's not what we hear about the Corinthian church. They're doing okay. And the second thing that we hear from Paul is, is 
the words, I want to get the words right. He says, under severe trial. So the church is facing extreme poverty and severe trial. And history tells us that what that severe trial likely is, is persecution for the faith. So when we look at the Macedonian church and we try to understand their example, I encourage you to really think about what this kind of poverty and what this kind of suffering looks like. So Paul holds them up as the example, and he starts the passage in a really interesting way. He holds the example of severe poverty and extreme uh, persecution up, and he says, but in the midst of this, brothers and sisters in Corinth, look at them. In the midst of this, we look at them and we see the grace of God. When you're facing extreme poverty and severe persecution, what do you pray for? Shout it out. Deliverance. What else do you pray for? Money? Provision, shelter, food, clothes. When you're in the midst of persecution and poverty, you pray for a lot of things. Anybody been there? Okay, maybe not persecution, but anybody had financially hard times? Yeah, okay. Me and the Carols, yeah, some of us. <laughs> I've been there. Now, I can't say I've been dirt poor and I've, I've been where the Macedonian churches are, but I can tell you my family faced a really hard financial time. And it was scary. It was painful. And I was not down on my knees praying to be able to give to someone else. I was down on my knees saying, God, provide. Lord, we need food. God, help us keep our house. Lord, I just need enough gas money to get to work and to class tomorrow. Those were my prayers. And I can only imagine that those have been the prayers of some of you, right? But when we look at the grace of God that Paul is testifying he sees in the Macedonian church, it's not that God came in and said, oh, we had this abundant harvest and, and some really great brothers and sisters donated food. And it's not that he said, oh, God relieved our persecution and the persecutor's hearts changed. Or someone housed us all. The grace that Paul is lifting up and saying, church in Corinth, look at your brothers and sisters and what God is doing for them was the grace he gave the Macedonian church to give of themselves in the midst of their poverty and the midst of their persecution. That is what Paul calls grace in this passage. I don't like that. <laughs> After going through a financially hard time, I have, to, I have to admit to you, this passage made me step back and do some praying this week. Because what I would have expected God to do in this scripture would be to provide physically, to provide financially, and to relieve the persecution that was happening. But that's not the grace that Paul talks about. Paul says the grace he sees is the fact that in their poverty and persecution, God moved in such a way that the church was able to give more of themselves. It says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. How does that happen? How does a church that is facing these kinds of extreme circumstances, out of all the outcomes that could happen, how does the outcome happen that the grace we are seeing is that God allowed them to give more? And Paul says it's miraculous. 
because he says they actually gave beyond their own ability to give. I think this is a miracle that we see happening. How is that possible? The answer is not complicated. Look with me at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. They did not do as we expected. Paul isn't saying they didn't do enough. Paul is saying he and Titus, his brother in Christ, who's been going back and forth between him and the Corinthian church, he and Titus didn't see that the church did what they expected because they over and beyond exceeded their expectations. They've blown Paul and Titus out of the water with what they've done. They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, keeping with God's will. How did they do this in the midst of extreme poverty and persecution? How did they give more than they were actually able to? They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Did you catch it? They were able to do more than Paul and Titus could ask or imagine because they had first, first and foremost, given themselves to the Lord. They had put their faith, their hope, their lives, and their trust in what so many Hebrew prayers refer to our God as the king of the universe. They knew that that king had a kingdom, a kingdom that had come and was to come in its completion still, like we just sang about, one day he's coming. And they knew there in that kingdom, they had found everything they needed. They had found all that they could ask or imagine. They had found a wealth of spiritual blessings that God promises his people. And the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, they had found new hearts and new attitudes, and they had found satisfaction in the grace and the new life that can only come from a close relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. So how did this miracle happen? It's like Paul says, the grace of God by people who had received the grace of God and had wholly entrusted themselves to him. Let's get a picture for this. I want us to think, it's not a perfect analogy, but think about the church in Afghanistan. I know my heart has been breaking and, and I've talked to many of you, your hearts have been breaking for what is going on there. Now, can you imagine the church in Afghanistan, they are being hunted down right now, Christians, and killed off, dragged into the streets, their daughters being killed. The church in Afghanistan going through this, the most impoverished of the church in Afghanistan, in the midst of the trial they're facing right now, can you imagine them hearing of a need in a church somewhere else and saying, oh, we gotta give. We gotta give to that. They are in need and we can give. That's wild, right? <laughs> I hold my money pretty tight sometimes, not all the time, but I know God is working on my heart and it can be easy to go, I gotta give smart. Oh, when tax season comes, we gotta give smart. Oh, uh, maybe I shouldn't give to this. I don't know what's going on with that homeless guy right there. But that's not the spirit of what we see. We see people surrendering to the Lord and allowing him to dictate what they give and how they live their lives. And it's because they were satisfied in what they had received from Jesus Christ by first giving their lives to the Lord. 
John 4 recounts a story of Jesus asking a Samaritan woman at a well for a drink of water. And when she questions him, he says this, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Macedonian churches have drunk deeply of this water. They have drank from the spring that is the well of life found in Christ. They have seen the abundant life that Christ offers. They have been satisfied it, and they have been changed by it. And out of that grace that they have received from putting their lives in the hands of the king of the universe, they were able to give. Listen to the descriptive words Paul uses in this passage to describe their giving. He calls it joyful. He calls it generous, beyond their ability, earnest, willing, and urgent. That kind of giving is only possible through a life that has been changed and satisfied by Jesus Christ. He is the source of the Macedonian church's giving and generosity. And he is the source of our giving and our generosity. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be really honest with you. There have been times in my life, whether it's those times I shared before that were financially difficult, or times that I just feel spent when people have come to me and asked me for something. Asked me to give to something, asked me for help with something, asked me to sacrifice something of myself, and I have cried out to God, I have nothing left to give! I am exhausted. Uh, this is the 18th person that has come to my door in the last hour, Lord. What do you want from me? I have felt that way. Have you felt that way before? Exasperated by the fact that someone is asking something more of you? Maybe you weren't facing persecution like the Macedonian churches, and maybe you weren't facing poverty like they were. I know I wasn't in those moments. I was just spent. <laughs> but listen, in the midst of their poverty and persecution, what one scholar says about the hearts of the Macedonian church. He puts it like this. They do not let their own difficult circumstances harden them towards the need of others. They do not let their own difficult circumstances Pardon them towards the needs of others, but they respond with eagerness to the plight of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Wow. I was just about brought to my knees when I read that in my study this week. In the midst of hardship that I hope you and I will never have to understand, when they were asked for something, in a place where I'm guessing many of them physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially felt like they had nothing left to give. Their hearts were broken for others. And they were earnest and eager to give what they could, more than they could, to bless the family of God. That was convicting for me this week. 
not in a damning way, but in a really good, encouraging kind of way. And I want to just address my brothers and sisters in the room who are tired, who are spent, who feel like I cannot volunteer for one more thing. <laughs> I cannot be financially asked for one more thing. I don't want to spend any more time praying. Just let me be and find some self-care. <laughs> I want to encourage you, if you're in that place this morning, to take the lesson from the Macedonian church. Now, what I'm not saying is that we don't have to take care of ourselves. God has given us this temple. We are to take care of ourselves. We are to be wise and to be good stewards. But what I am saying is maybe this notion of the me first so I can take care of others, American self-care model, has gotten into our heads a little more than we would like to admit. Maybe we've become a little bit distracted and lost course of the seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. I will take care of them, child. And we've worked ourselves into a tizzy of all these things we have to do for God and all these things people are asking of us and we are spent and we, come, we become bitter and hardened in our hearts and say, leave me alone. I've done what I can. It's someone else's turn. And if the Macedonian church didn't say that, brothers and sisters, why are we saying that? I found myself encouraged this week, looking at their example and saying, Laura, hearing the Spirit say, Laura, maybe the reason sometimes you're bitter, maybe the reason sometimes you're tired, is because you aren't connecting to that overflowing, abundant well that I am. Maybe you aren't finding your satisfaction as much as you think you have convinced yourself you are in who I am and what I have done for you. So brothers and sisters, I implore you, if you are tired, A, maybe ask the Lord, have I done, have I just said yes to too many things? But ask the spring of living water to remind you of who he is and what he has done for you to refill you like he had filled the Macedonians with joy, with overflowing abundance through the grace they had found in Jesus Christ. Remember the joy of your salvation, brothers and sisters. God doesn't call all of us to say yes to everything. That is not biblical, and we will never find that in Scripture. But be wise to go to the source, to ask him for what he is asking you to jump in with, and to stay rooted in him, being filled and satisfied like the Macedonians were with the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you're still tired, even after that, and there will be times, even in our only doing what God has asked of us, there will be times that our human bodies and our hearts are tired. So if you are still tired, yet you are satisfied in Christ, I want to remind you of what Paul pointed the Corinthian back, church back to. I want to remind you of our ultimate example of generosity. It's not the Macedonian church, although that was beautiful, and not just financially, but with the way they lived their lives and gave of themselves. But our ultimate example of generosity is who, brothers and sisters? 
Jesus. Our ultimate example of generosity is our God. Our God who, look at me with verse 9, Paul says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus had the wealth of heaven. And we're not just talking riches, we're talking about being with the Father. We're talking about the glory of heaven. And he left the riches of the glory of heaven to come to earth. Have you been here? There's some great parts, but there's a lot of brokenness. And our God experienced exhaustion. He experienced mockery. He experienced betrayal. He experienced hunger. He experienced emotional pain, and he experienced death. And yet this beautiful, beautiful passage we get in John, Jesus says this. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. No one took Jesus' life, not the Father, not those on the cross. Jesus gave it freely, generously, and willingly. He had the authority to lay it down, and he had the authority to take it back up again. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't forced. He did it out of his love for the Father and his love for us. Freely, graciously, generously, Jesus gave so we, in turn, like Paul said, could leave our, our destitution, our poverty, our spiritually broken and corrupt damned states and become welled up with spiritual riches and blessings in Jesus that we never had a chance at before. If you are tired, I want to point you to the tireless examples of our God's generosity. Let who Jesus is and what he has done for you Find your satisfaction today and encourage your tired spirit as you go forward. So brothers and sisters, as, as, as we come to the close, you might be asking yourselves, this is great. God wants us to live generously financially in our spirit and how we live our lives. What in the world does that have to do with the building campaign? Paul is talking about a collection for the impoverished, persecuted, famine-stricken church in Jerusalem. Pastor Laura, this seems like a little bit of a hard sell. How does this connect today? But I want to, A, that's a great question. We should always be asking, are we trying to take scripture out of context? But no. Paul's heart, we see this in like five different verses over and over again. His heart is for the poor. And his heart is to bring the good news to the lost. Brother and sisters, I want to encourage you to think about a couple things. One, I want to encourage you to think about this building. This building whose debt we're trying to pay off. Do you know what this building is used for during the week? And this has nothing to do with the glory of anyone but God. He is so good. It now, as you heard this morning, hosts two different churches. Multiple discipleship groups meet here during the week. Multiple small groups meet here during the week. Out those doors right there, we have a counseling center that is so booked up. There are wait lists and wait lists because so many people are coming to get help. We have a preschool that runs downstairs five to 
days a week serving over 100 families and one of the most affordable childcare centers in the area. We have a Narcotics Anonymous group that meets here for the city of Grand Rapids on Tuesdays where people can come and get the help and the healing that they need. This isn't just a building debt. This is a campaign for us to be able to continue to use what God has granted us freely to bless those who need the hope and the help of Jesus Christ. And what's more, when that debt is gone, Lord willing, after next year, if our people continue to give generously, as generously as they have in the campaign, do you know what God could do for the poor, for the lost in this world, for those that Paul's very heart is for in this passage? In the last two years, just from the campaign giving, you all have donated almost $500,000. $500,000. Do you know what we could do? What? No. Do you know what God could do? With $500,000 in Walker, he could run for an entire year the preschool, the Christian preschool and child care center of Orchard Hill, pay for every single parent's tuition for their child. Over 100 families are associated with that preschool for a whole year. Pay for every staff salary and give them well-deserved raises for an entire year and have over a hundred families worth of children coming through day in and day out hearing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and being loved by Christian teachers. With almost $500,000, we could pay, God could pay the rent of over 325 families the average cost of monthly rent for them right now for a year. 325 families to get rent help for a month in the course of one year. Or God could unleash 200 Mission India church planters sponsored by this church to go into the darkest, most unreached country in the world with the hope and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to their own people. I want to encourage you, if you think this doesn't apply today, think again. God is giving us an opportunity to shed this debt and to see what he might do with those kind of resources out on mission. So while building campaign doesn't sound like a very sexy term, I want you to imagine through these verses and through the abundance of what God can do, what our city, what our church, what this, this hill right here of ministry might look like with these resources unleashed after next year. So Orchard Hill, as we enter into the last year of the Get Her Done campaign, let's learn from the Macedonian churches and the generosity that sprang up in the midst of poverty and persecution. And let's do, by God's grace, exactly what the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians to do. Look with me in verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, let's do this, Orchard Hill. Let's see that we also accept and excel in this grace of giving. May Orchard Hill Church excel in this grace of giving. And as we go out and get her done, we will reflect the heart of our generous God to the world. Amen. Generous God, we come before you this morning. And God, we just find ourselves in awe and speechless 
of how much you have given, of who you are. And Lord, my prayer for, for myself, for, for us as a congregation, is that that would be more than enough for us. God, that we would find our satisfaction, find our joy, and find our abundance, not in the things of this world, but in you. And in the countless blessings that you have bestowed and promised you will bestow on your faithful people. God, as we enter into this last year of this campaign, my prayer is that we would see it more as a call to, than a call to financial giving, God. We would look at your word. We would look at the cross and we remember that our generous God calls us to generous living in every way. Let the abundance and the grace that we have received from you flow out of us, Lord, into an abundance and a grace that we offer through your spirit to this world. Lord, we pray that you would do in us as you did through grace in the Macedonian church, that we would give even beyond our abilities for the glory of Jesus Christ, so the nations may know that you are a generous giver.